I want to bring your attention to God's word here this morning. Before I do, I just want to ask God to quickly, one more time, just bless everything that we do here, that it would give honor and glory to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word and for your wonderful name. We just pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our lives as we open up the gift of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen, amen. That's what I really want to talk about today is the gift the greatest gift, the first Christmas gift that ever happened. Uh, In fact, it started with two people, Joseph and Mary. You know, I I grew up in the Catholic Church, and um, uh, I have many people who love God with all of their heart within the Catholic Church even to this day. But one of the things that I think both the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church tend to do is, is that we kind of put Mary in a God state. The Bible, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mary is referred to as highly favored. Mary got that title not because she was divine, but she got that title because she lived her life for the divine. She was highly favored, and God trusted her with the birth of her son. Not only that, but the Bible also talks about Joseph, and it says about Joseph, it says that he was a righteous man. And I'll tell you what, in the day and the age that we live with, in business, in life, in neighbors, boy, a righteous person, a person who chooses to live the right way and behave and conduct themselves with the right attitudes, the right behaviors, and the right decisions, that's what makes somebody stand out. And that's what God said about these two people, Mary and Joseph, that they found favor with God and they were righteous because they lived a righteous life. And because of that, God trusted them. And I think in many ways, Joseph and Mary are the most underpreached people in the world because they represent people like you and me and what God can do and trust us with if we behave our life and conduct it in a way that's that's honoring and trustworthy to God. And it reads the first Christmas gift like this in Luke chapter 2 verse 7 that Mary she gave birth to her firstborn son she wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger. The first gift wrapping ever that took place, the first Christmas that ever happened, the first gift was Jesus. It was, it was a tremendous honor for me, by the way, to marry this couple that is standing in for Mary and Joseph and to, to dedicate their first baby. And we are so proud of them, for those of us that know and love them. To Sandy and Reuben, we love you, we're proud of you, and we believe that that child is going to have a blessed life because they are a family who are righteous and find favor with God because they choose to live that way. But, you know, when it comes to to Easter, right? Easter is that holiday where God is stretching our heart and mind to think about him differently. How many people do you know that rose from the dead, right? Let me just see. Phil, Mike, Steve, right? Good luck with that. It's Jesus. And let me tell you what, it is not it is not a fairy tale. It is it is a fact. Jesus rose from the dead. He busted through grave. Death could not hold him, and the power of sin and shame that was on our life that carries us that would keep us out from heaven. Jesus Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloth so that one day he could be wrapped in grave clothes and walk out of that grave and show us that he has all authority and all power to save us and to help us. But when it comes to babies, when it comes to Christmas, God chose this event to be a place where you and I could look at it and be tender. Think about it. Those of you that are parents and grandparents, that moment when you held that baby for the first time, that tender, precious, beautiful moment. I mean, there's nothing like it. 
There's every friendship and every relationship in my life I had to warm up to. The first time I, my oldest son and my second son were born, the minute I held them, I said, I would die for this one. I'll do everything I can as best as I can for this one. I mean, it's an instant bond. But God got off of his high throne. He didn't stand in heaven and tell you what's wrong with your life. He said, I'm going to come into this life and I'm going to help you through it. And he took on flesh. John chapter 1, 14 says this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We may not be able to relate to God's deity and his divine power that rose from the dead, but we can totally know what it's like to be a child, to grow, to have family. We can know what it's like to ache to wish we had love, to wish we had a father or a mother, to wish that we had family. And God came in not to build a, a CEO corporation. The way and the, and the picture that God chose to change the world was through a family, through a family. And he chose this family to be that one that would do it. So the gift really is that he became like us. The gift was that God was building a home Many here in this room here this morning, I know your stories. Many of you were abandoned in your childhood by a father, a mother. Some of you raised by grandparents. Many of you here were orphaned and wounded. Some of you even here, you're not the stepfather. You're the father that stepped up. And that kid does not feel any less loved by you than if they were your own flesh and blood. And in fact, the greatest example, for those of you that are stepfathers, I want you to look at the greatest example that the Bible ever put in page of what a stepfather could and should be. That's Joseph. The Bible preaches about stepfathers. And you are heroes, by the way, in my book. Those of you that adopt children, those of you that are stepfathers, you're, you're amazing. But Jesus rebuilt the family. And he started it and he said, you know what, this is too good of a story to keep to myself, so I'm going to share it with the world. So who do you think God's going to share it with? Is he going to share it with, um, you know, Bloomberg? Is he going to share it with uh, Donald Trump? Is he going to share it with uh, Barack Obama? Is he going to share it with, uh, you know, the, the, the Queen of England? No, you know what he does? He starts with people like you and me, and the Bible says that he began with shepherds just like this. These people in this story are you. They're me. They represent ordinary people working hard, doing life, doing what they can to change the world, one, one paycheck at a time, one lamb at a time. And the Bible reads like this. It says that there were shepherds living out in the fields, uh, in the fields nearby in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. You know what? I've been to this part of the world. There are a group of you that are going with us in March there. I know people personally all throughout the, the country of Israel, both, both Jews, both Christians, Muslims, Palestinians, all different types of people. And to this day, there are shepherds that still, to this day, live like this. It says that they were out in the fields at night because when you're out in, and you're a shepherd, you're sleeping under the stars. And in fact, uh, some people are shepherds in that part of the world and they shepherd toured groups. And we had one group go through and the year we brought Pastor Dylan with us, there was a shepherdess, her name was Barbara, and she was really sweet on him and she happened to manage to get Pastor Dylan's phone number. Nothing's become of that yet. But we're hoping for a biblical end to that story. <laughs> Sorry. David was doing this 10 centuries earlier when Samuel came to anoint the first king. He says, where is, where, do you have any other kids? He says, David, he's out tending the sheep. They live like this. And here's the beautiful part of this story. The message that God gave to these angels is the message that God gives to you. That, that he gave to these shepherds through the angels. It's this. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace and goodwill to all mankind. Most of the Bible versions that you read translate it wrong. If you read it in the original language, it's three things. Glory to God in the highest. 
God's worthy of our praise. That's why we sung to him this morning. On earth, peace. Oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go through my life, I pause and I say, oh God, please, please. I need your peace. I need your peace. But the last thing is the most important. God says this, goodwill to men. You know what I used to think? I used to think that Christians are good people that said a prayer, God forgave them, and they never made mistakes for the rest of their life. I've come to realize that I'm a train wreck before, during, and after letting God come into my life, letting Jesus be Lord of my life. And I've come to find this about God is this, is that if you let him in, if you unwrap the present of Jesus into your life and you let that present become present in your life, you're not going to see perfection in your life. In fact, it's going to highlight what needs to change, but that's okay because God didn't come here to make you perfect. perfect. He came here to save you, to love you, to forgive you, to change you, and he sees you at your worst moment and he still thinks the best of you. And that's powerful. And that's what the angel sung. And then it says this. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, this will be the sign for you that you'll see the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Here they are in, in the fields, and God sends an angel, tells them, go here, you're going to see a baby in the manger. They go there, they see it just as the angel said it, but that shouldn't surprise any of us because in the book of Micah, chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, 600 years back before this moment, God said, O you, O Bethlehem, a ruler will come forth from you. You know what's amazing is this, as you read the Bible and you begin to reread the Bible and you let God speak to you and you let him talk to you through this, this book, which, which is the best read you could continue to have in your life, you'll find that God spoke about things before they ever happened. But then you'll begin to realize that the God of all the universe that wrote about moments like this and moments about that and moments that you read actually says that he wrote all of your days in a book before one of them came to be. You are not an accident. I don't care how you came into this world and into this life. Life. You are not a disaster. I don't care how you've conducted your life. You are loved by God. He cares for you. And he wrote in every single moment that you think that you've blown it and destroyed it. He's written in there an opportunity for him to redeem it and to change it. And being a Christian is not being perfect. It's being loved by a God even though you're not. That's Christianity. The gift for us was wrapped up centuries before ordained in paper for ordinary people like us, like the shepherds, and like you and me. But here's the thing. Do I really listen? Am I looking for God? Am I listening for him? And sometimes I find in my ordinary life, I'm more focused on my problems and my setbacks than I am with praising God and looking at and being mindful and knowing that there's a God on, in heaven who is with me here through spirit on earth to help me, to grace me, to make up the difference for where I lack, to bring forgiveness to where I need it, and to change me and give me courage to make that difference. And if he can do it for me and he can do it for them, he can do it for you. Not only was the message of the gift given to common people, but a message went out from heaven, a gift was for the wise as well. Not only the wise, but the wise men in the Bible were actually the equivalent of royalty and education. If I were to try and put it into our terms here today, they would have a PhD in astronomy, they would have a, a trust fund that never would run dry, and they would also, on top of that, have a deep spiritual sensitivity. These are people, the Bible doesn't say that they were Jews, they weren't Christians, they weren't Jews. They were people that were looking for God. You might be here this morning and you might say, I don't know what church is, I never grown up with that. But there are moments in your life where all of a sudden you sense 
sensed something. You realized there's something bigger there. Your heart yearned to know a God that you didn't understand or know. These men were all the way on the other side of the world. And instead of looking at their charts, at their maps and saying, let's plan a nice trip to Tahiti. They looked up at the stars and they said, something's happening. We don't fully understand it, but let's follow this thing. And can I tell you something? Wherever you are in life, whether you're wise, ordinary shepherds going through life, or you might be somebody who is a little bit further away from who God is and you don't fully know it, if you follow the light and you follow the star, God will lead you to the right place and he led you here this morning, not by accident, but to let you know that he loves you, that he sent the gift of his son to change your life. And it says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, and going into the house, those of you that were here for the message about Jesus wasn't born in a barn but in a home surrounded by love, notice that word there. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down. Listen to what they did. They fell down and worshiped him. You know what? I, I've watched through the years how different people worship. I've seen it done like this. I've seen it done like this. I've seen it done by children like this. <laughs> I've seen it done like this, with tears falling and hands raised. You know, we're all different in our personality, but here's the thing. These guys didn't know what worship was, but they knew that there was one that was here that was worthy of it. What did that moment look like? You know what? I think it looks different for all of us, but what's going on in here and what's going on in here is responding to what God is doing right there in that moment that he was acknowledged. There's a cute story of, uh, all of us have probably been to plays where our kids served in uh, the story, and there were three children that were playing the, the wise men, and so the first, they, you know, just like any one of us, we forget our lines, right? The first kid walks up and he goes, behold, I bring gold. And so everyone's like, yay, good job. Second kid comes up and he knows his lines really good. He goes, behold, I bring myrrh. And then just like the third kid, I could probably relate to him more than the others, he got up there and he totally went blank. And he goes, uh, Frank, he goes, Frank sent this. <laughs> Walked away. But you see, the thing about the wise men, they weren't looking for lines or looking to say the right things. Sometimes that's what we do when we come into a church moment. Maybe if I just pretend to be better than I am, if I say the right things, God sees everything. Sometimes I have that moment where I say, Lord, I need to be honest to God and just say, you see me at my worst moment, you still think the best of me. And that's what made this moment powerful for these men. And maybe you don't know who God is and you're looking at him from a distance. Would you just be wise and just gentle and just ease into what God has for you? Trust him, follow the light. See where God's at work. You know what? He was a gift to the world, simple and common, rare and complex, no matter who you are, where you're at. Jesus is relevant for your life. But Paul writes it like this in 2 Corinthians 9.15. As I begin to wind down here, he says this. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How do you put into words a God that raises from the dead? How do you put into words when Jesus walks up to a man who has crippled his whole life and says, what's easier for me to say, pick up your mat, rise and walk, or your sins are forgiven, but that you might know that I'm God, and here's here in this moment, I tell you, get up and walk. One of the most powerful moments I had in my life was a friend I know personally who was in a wheelchair, 
and watch someone, not in the name of modern medicine, not in the name of essential oils, not in the name of, of, of Dr. So-and-so at, at the Leahy Center, but they went up and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up, rise, and walk. And I watched that person who I knew personally get up out of that wheelchair. And I don't know why sometimes God shapes our life through our suffering, and he brings the better out of us through the squeeze, and why sometimes he relieves that pressure. But I know this, God is God and he is all powerful. And it began with being wrapped in a swaddling cloth with a precious little child like that so that God could look you and me in the face and say, I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to feel the strain and the pull of struggle. And I'm here for you. The second time Jesus was wrapped is in John 19, 40. It says, taking the body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. Jesus was buried a second time. And his gift was not just that he would be born like us, but he would show us that you too can overcome this life. And the Bible says that he was wrapped, he was crucified. The whole story looked like a sham. It looked like a joke. In fact, people were mocking him, saying, you, you saved yourself. Why don't you get yourself off the cross? You saved others. Why don't you, why don't you save yourself? And then he was buried in a tomb, and everybody said, well, we thought he was going to do it. But that wasn't the end of the story. There was one more gift to open, and it began here, and it ended in Easter. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. And let me tell you what, today, here, now, God has his Christmas tree. We decorate ours with lights and bulbs. He decorated it with the blood of his son. We crown ours with a star. He crowned it with thorns. And we place our gifts under the tree. God placed the gift of his son on it so that you and me could not be made perfect, that you and me could be made forgiven so that we could be accepted by a perfect God. You're never gonna be good enough. And if you wait for that moment, you're gonna wait your whole life and miss it. He gave the gift of Jesus. And in John 3, 16, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I love how 1 John 3, 1, they are ornery, aren't they, huh? <laughs> it's animal abuse, I know, I know. I couldn't resist it. Sorry, the middle school kid in me came out. Listen to this verse. It's a letter, actually. John, the one who wrote John three sixteen, wrote this in a letter. He says, what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God? In this room, this church is filled with heroes of stepfathers, people who have adopted others, people who said, you know what, I didn't have that in my life, but I'm going to be that for my kid. It's not, what, it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you got. It doesn't matter whether you felt lack in a family and you didn't have that family like Joseph and Mary. God can make up the difference. But here's the thing, it's the Bible says this, that we've been given the privilege to be called children of God. We're not part of his corporation. We're not part of his team. He calls you son. He calls you his little girl. And he loves you. And let me tell you what, when he says it to you, it's not the way that that person said it to you who hurt you, who abandoned you. He's the greatest father you'll ever experience. And he loves you. I want to close with this, and I just ask uh, the team to come up here. Two, two thoughts really for you. First one is this, it's a true story, and I was just reading a book about prayer, and true story of a, of a young girl. She didn't grow up in the church, she didn't, she was technically an atheist. She was like, I just don't know if God exists. You know, because we go to churches and we talk so much to him, but sometimes you're like, is anyone listening, and how is he there? You know what the Bible says, that God, by his Holy Spirit, he sent his spirit. Jesus isn't coming back and walking with sandals and gathering groups of people, he's not coming back that way. 
And God the Father is on the throne with all authority and he's going to set this world right. But he says, until that moment comes, I've left you not as orphans, but with my Holy Spirit. See, the presence of God is as real here as the person next to you. And this young lady had given birth to her first child. The father had abandoned her, nowhere to be found. She had no family. She was, uh, she was alone. She had no parents. She had no friends at that time. And here she was with this most beautiful moment in her life and nobody to share it with her. And she said that she took the baby and she just said, I just, this is so beautiful. I don't know what, and for some reason, just something inside of her just looked up. Just ask God, would you share this moment with me? I don't know who you are and I don't know if you're there, but if you are, this is too beautiful. Everybody left me, but would you share this burden with me? Would you share this moment with me? And suddenly a powerful and a beautiful presence filled that room. Presence of God, presence of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have sensed that presence. Some of you, it's been too long since you've sensed it. And as her heart began to raise and her tears began to drop, that young lady moved from being an atheist to being a strong follower of Christ. And to this day, she's still serving Jesus with all of her heart. To end this most beautiful story I read in the same book, there was a man, his name was Giovanni, back hundreds of years ago. And Giovanni felt so moved that he sold all of his possessions, his great wealth, and he gave it away. Now, God doesn't call all of us to do that, but he, he said, I just want God. One of the wealthier men in the town looked at him and said, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? He thought it was some kind of act of manipulation or something. And he invited him. He said, I'll let you stay in my house and watch me if you want. And he even drilled a hole in the wall so that he could peer through it and look at him. And as he was there over time, he would go into that room and each night he'd see him do this. He'd drop to the ground. He'd lift his hands and tears would pour down his face and he would say one phrase over and over again. My God and my all. My God and my all. My God and my all. Come to learn something in this life, friends. Money can buy fun, but it cannot buy happiness or contentment or permanent safety. Funny thing is, is the man that used to look through that at that man's life, weeks later became a student under him. And every night, he did the same. He got rid of everything except my God and my all. Shortly after that, he had 12 followers, 20 followers, 50 followers. In a matter of a few years after that, 5,000 followers, followers, and he ended up eventually changing the world. And today we call him St. Francis of Assisi. He would hate the idea of being called a saint because at the end of the day, what he'd admit to you is, is he was just like you and me. He was just somebody that said, I'm tired of grabbing on to other things than the only thing that can't be shaken. My God, my all. I wonder if this Christmas holiday season, and we could let go of all the false hopes, all the bitterness, all the stuff that can't get straightened out. It's too complicated. You just cut it out, set it to the side and say, oh God, be my all, be my God. 
I receive the gift of your son. I know what I'm not, but you know what I'm not. You're not calling me to be perfect. You're calling me to be part of your family. If you'd stand across this room. As we just close the service off, I wonder if you'd join me in probably one of the most powerful prayers ever prayed in the past several hundred years. Repeat this after me. My God and my all. My God and my all. Father, in the name of Jesus, there aren't enough words in the English vocabulary or any other language to say what we hope and long for, what we hope you do. But I pray this holiday season, we would remember that Jesus is the reason. We'd remember that the greatest gift that you ever gave this world was your son. Whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. Lord, you don't call people to be perfect. You call them to be part of your big dysfunctional family. And we just thank you for that. And we say to you this morning, my God and my all, in Jesus' name, amen. We want you to know that we're here every week and we pray for you and we love you, but God loves you. Jesus loves you and his spirit is here, but it's not just in this building, it goes home with you. And if you might be in that place in your life where you're like, it's such a mess, I don't know what to do, can I encourage you tonight? Before you put your head to the pillow, you put your hands to the sky and your knees to the ground and say, my God, my all. He wants to be everything in your life and he loves you. Hey, God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you.